welcome to Ladies Get Action, the podcast where two best friends talk about getting action movies. This is Rin Olson. And this is Rebecca Ringley. And this week we watched Escape from LA, the sequel to the 80s movie Escape from New York, which we did on a previous episode. I think we did that on our second episode, actually. Oh my gosh, that's perfect timing as we have just passed our, our year anniversary when this comes out. Oh yeah, that's funny. Yeah, what a movie. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about it, but uh, how's your week been? You know, one of the tougher weeks, I think. It's been a lot with work, just, you know, tons of stuff to get in and lots of stress, but I did have a nice weekend. I went to brunch with some new friends and stayed out very late. And I had a great time and all these new ladies were awesome and I had a lot of fun. It was nice. And then Sunday was very relaxing. I did very little, um, except for actually I did so much. I did everything around the apartment I had been neglecting and worked out and all the other stuff. Oh, but I watched two movies this week. I wanted to mention to you. I watched the orphan movies this week. Oh, right. You did mention this to me. Okay. So I watched both the original orphan from like 20 something maybe like 10 years ago, like 2013, somewhere around there. And the new sequel that came out last year. And it was just a really fun little ride that I took myself on on Sunday, (laughs) where uh, the first movie I think is great. I think is really, really fun. I think you should watch it. Like this is a thing that really happened. So people already know, but the twist in the first film is that it's a child actor. She's 12 and she's phenomenal playing an adult, playing a child. (laughs) <laughs> oh it's so twisty I love it but the the sequel really messes with your mind but like so in the first movie the whole time you're watching it you're going you're like I know she's an adult so your brain is trying to reconcile I'm looking at a child but actually it's an adult pretending to be a child so that's fun and then the sequel is the same woman who's now an adult playing a child who is an adult pretending to be a child <laughs> And so the brain is doing the exact opposite work of you're staring at an adult woman who's pretending to be a child, trying to understand how everyone else around her sees a child, the same child you saw in the, in the movie 10 years ago, (laughs) when you're still looking at a 22 year old woman or 25 year old woman who's playing also a, a 30 year old woman pretending to be a nine year old, 10 year old girl. Just the the total meta-ness of this makes me laugh. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, the second movie has another great twist, which I won't spoil, um, which I, I didn't really know how they could make a twist in that movie because you know that she's an adult con woman essentially playing a child, a murderous, murderous child. Um, but they managed another great twist. And so it was still a fun time, but the your brain can't relax watching it. It's very strange. But you recommend them both. Yeah, totally. Like they're both fun times. But yeah, that was captivating this week for me. How about you? How how has your week been? How are you doing? My week has been good. I'm a little tired um, just because I've been dog sitting for my, my aunt and uncle. And I have been trying to get the dogs on my schedule, which is that we wake up at like 6.45 to have breakfast. Mm-hmm. But today I had to take my dad to the airport. So the dogs were like, oh yeah, 5.45, we're back on it. Oh. So I'm a little tired. 
but I've had a really good week. I had both an audition and a callback for a play here in Bend. Yeah. And that was really fun because I'm also in an acting class that I think I mentioned last week, um, which was just a blast. And we did cold reading. And then for the audition, we had to do cold reading too. So it was kind of like a nice continuation of my skills journey. Yeah, it also got really like cold here and it snowed and got really icy. So everybody was driving like really, really slowly. And I was driving in my aunt's Xterra, which is like kind of a tank of a car, but I was really happy to be driving it because because it was so icy. And I was like, oh, I'm practicing my Tokyo drift skills because <laughs> I slid a little bit on the ice, but it was fine. So let's talk about Escape from L.A. <laughs> Okay. Should I go first this time and saying my initial thoughts? Yes. Okay. This movie feels like like a carbon copy of the first one in so many ways. But I did love all the fun LA twists. Like it felt like a, a real parody of LA in so many ways. Like or not parody, a satire. It was a fun time. You know, this isn't my favorite movie. Parts that I really enjoyed. Um, I thought were really campy. But overall, I, I thought this was like silly and fun. Um, there's a part we'll talk about, which is like really disgustingly transphobic and like could never happen today. Yeah. Thank God. Um, but w- would have been totally acceptable then, which is just horrible and a good reminder um, of like how quickly things have changed in our country. But overall, I had a fun time with some hesitations. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with mostly all of that. I mean, this movie is, in some ways, it's better than Escape from New York because it's so over the top and so campy and just ridiculous. And they're not even trying to, like, make a good movie. Yeah, it's silly. It's so silly. And just, I mean, it's it's the sort of movie you put on kind of while you're doing something else, but you're like, sure, why not? It sort of felt like it wanted to be... um, Mad Max Thunderdome at points but I also really liked how they incorporated like you said so many LA things and like all the LA did like ecological disasters waiting oh yeah <laughs> you're like, right yeah that is funny I mean the tsunami was hilarious and also they clearly had more money for this one because they have oh. this like tsunami and acid rain and earthquakes and the fires and I still have the same problems that I had with the last one where like so much of the action or like the background action takes place off screen or before this movie. I was sort of like, did we miss a Cleveland movie? Cause they keep yes. referencing all the things. Well, I Googled it because I kept being like, we definitely missed somehow escape from Cleveland because everyone's <laughs> talking about Cleveland and he had some adventure in Cleveland and it was really epic. And he met all these people in Cleveland and everyone knows about it, but no, there was no movie. Maybe that's the the joke is that everybody in, in LA or New York is from Ohio. I don't know. But yeah, this movie doesn't, it's just so weird. It's a weird, silly, campy <laughs> movie. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's get into it. I first of all, what do you think of like the world building stuff? The it was just like the first one, this very long introductory sort of period where they're explaining, you know. In 1998, LA was ravaged by crime and immorality. There's a United States police force now. And then there's uh, a religious nut president who predicts a a fatal earthquake to kill all the immoral, you know, non-Christian people. And then it comes true. 
And then he becomes like president for life. What did you think of that whole sequence? Um, it sort of felt like Handmaid's Tale meets like, like they're really stealing from Parable of the Sower or something like that. I just didn't understand the point of setting up this world building, like other than for like Snake Plissken, aka Kurt Russell, to, like burn it all down. <laughs> yeah, it felt like they needed an, an, an excuse to get us back into a prison state. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. I wanted to say that like, I thought they did a better job of both like raising the political and the personal stakes, which we've kind yeah. of talked about in this podcast before. Well, it was just so much of an information dump. My brain like couldn't really keep up. And by the end, I'm like, okay, like they'll explain it to me. Like once we got towards <laughs> the end where it was just of the scene, of just of the sequence where it's like, okay, so now we have this religious not president forever. He's deporting everyone who's immoral, who commits moral crimes. Uh, this is really, really like, sorry, not to cut you off. Oh no, that's okay. So I read Octavia, or I read Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. And I think there's actually another one that I'm blanking on right now. And this feels lifted directly from that, where there's like a religious uh, fundamentalist um, president who is putting everybody who he deems immoral into camps. And obviously the like protagonist of her story is, is not Kurt Russell. Um, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't read that. That sounds good. It's uh, really, really good. Highly recommend. Yeah, I want to watch the show, the new FX show about her book. Oh yeah, the Kindred one. Yes, or- yes, yes. Kindred. Yeah, it looks yeah. really good. But yeah, they call LA the Island of the Damned, um, and they have like a wall around it, um, and the U.S. Army is around it. And Basically, LA is like the hottest goth nightclub from the 90s that you can't wait to get into. <laughs> and it's like overrun with gangs and it's, you know, it's all very silly. It's the same setup for what New York was as a prison state. Yeah, but almost oh, even more over the top. Yeah. I mean, I will say I appreciate the escalation of like making it this moral issue and I kind of thought it was going to go in another way, but I forgot what we learned in the first film, which is that Snake Pilskin or Pliskin or whatever is a nihilist and he doesn't give a fuck about <laughs> the government or which way like the world goes. And this film proves it just like the first one did where he doesn't really have a, a stake in this either way. No, you're right. And, and also when they first introduced the concept of like our antagonist, Clairvo, something or other. I also thought that maybe Snake was going to team up with him because I was like, yeah, this guy is actually on the right side of history. He should be opposing this government. And that's not what happens. Well, we quickly learned that Clairvo actually isn't on the right side of history. He's only in it for his own self-interest, but Utopia is. So I was like, I immediately, when we saw her, I'm like, I love her. I love everything about her. I remember her from my so-called life. Remember she was, um, ran on my so-called life. I didn't watch that, but oh, I agree. I liked Utopia a lot. It was so good. She was fantastic on that show, but I agreed with her political stance. Like when she was like this whole having an Island of like people who are arrested for moral crimes is immoral in itself. And I want to free all these people. I'm like, great. Perfect. Yeah. I was on her side. Yeah, but he doesn't care about that. 
No, he doesn't care about anyone. You're right. He is a nihilist. <laughs> right. There's not a person in the world he cares about except for kind of himself. Um, and he doesn't even seem to be like grossed out by the president. I know. That was also pretty upsetting. Yeah. I'm remembering how hard it was to root for him in the first one. And I think because I was having a lot more fun with this world and like Steve Buscemi and Utopia and all these characters here that I could sort of forget about Snake. But he's sort of, he's kind of a wet blanket. (laughs) He is a wet blanket. And forgive me, but did he get tricked twice by the same shit about this fake virus in him? Um, he sure did I remember in the first film I I think I posited that perhaps the virus was fake all along but he I think to his knowledge and to our knowledge watching the movie the virus could have been real right like they they still injected him and this time they're like no it was fake like this you're an idiot it's fake again Um, but before we get too deep into it should we attempt some kind of description of what this film is if you haven't seen it yeah, lead us in, Rebecca. Tell us what this movie's oh, about. God. All right. Well, I already kind of explained the, the opening setup, but basically we're in a future world of 2013 at the time. This is the future where Los Angeles is now an immigrant prison, essentially. Um, and everyone is an immigrant if you are deemed immoral. You get deported from the regular U.S., to Los Angeles, which is now an island because of the earthquakes, which is also suffering from like extreme uh, global warming results. <laughs> centralized only to LA. Right. Only LA seems to have like all these issues um, where gangs run, run supreme. And basically there's a corrupt president in charge. His daughter has been radicalized by her virtual reality game. And fallen in love with the gang leader, like resistance gang leader in Los Angeles. Um, She stole her dad's nuclear button, essentially. And she has found herself in Los Angeles, you know, the island of Los Angeles. The government has now employed Snake Pillskin once again to get in there (laughs) and and, uh, extract this very important remote as it turns out, a remote control. Um, and also to hopefully kill Utopia. He gets contracted to do this and they say, we've injected you with some virus that's going to kill you in exactly 10 hours. That's how long you have. Here's your timer. Um, go get it. And so he does. One thing about Snake Pl- Pilskin, Pilskin, Pliskin is that he is not smart. <laughs> They always call him a dummy and they are right. It's so true. He's really dumb. And I thought this was so funny because they, they make a point of it throughout the film. I didn't realize Kurt Russell was so short. Oh yeah. Everyone keeps saying that to him. Yeah. But you can really see how short he is. He's a very small man. (laughs) Did you look up his height? No, I didn't. But just like looking at the shots, it's clear that he's not actually that tall. Yeah. Yeah. True. Like I would hazard a guess that he's probably about like five seven, maybe five eight. But yeah, he's back with his eye patch and he's going into this this uh, city of the damned, island of the damned, uh, via submarine. But this is also after we've gotten kind of an important plot point about holograms too, 
where he gets tricked by holograms and so that's an important piece of tech that like comes back around too you know along the way uh he meets some colorful characters there's some great set pieces that i want to talk through one of the earliest things that disturbed me there's a lot that's a little bit disturbing about like how they set up this world but one of the first things we see is that, you know, they say like, oh, snake, you have like 27 moral crimes. I'd love to get the list, number one. <laughs> For an itemized list. Yeah. He's walking through this like immigrant processing center and yeah. it's really, really upsetting because basically they're like, okay, you can like c- confess your sins and choose to die by electric chair instead of going to this horrible island that might be better so snake arrives in in los angeles do you want to talk about some of these uh set pieces that we see (laughs) yeah so you already mentioned like the environmental disasters part of this being like an la satire my favorite parts are like these big set pieces that are all la themed which include (laughs) um a basketball game Oh, yeah, which felt very much like Thunderdome in a way. Yes, for sure. Um, A basketball game with really high stakes, uh, a surfing on a tsunami scene, which was was like a point break callback for Kurt Russell. Oh, do you want to know a fun fact about that that scene or like the surfing characters? Because I was watching the credits at the end. Brecken Meyer plays one of the surfers. Oh, there is my favorite the the plastic surgery sort of vampires uh zombies or whatever who live in the beverly hills hotel and steal body parts because their botched surgeries need new body parts to be fixed um and there's also kite surfing oh yeah (laughs) it had everything and then we also get lots and lots of shots of like the 405 like the sign for the freeway or whatever you know like destroyed like the hollywood uh sign up in flames mm-hmm. did you clock um bruce campbell is the main vampire surgeon oh is that who that was yeah i mean you could barely tell underneath all the prosthetics but i thought that was really really funny yeah that was a really funny scene yeah everyone has like an extreme plastic surgery face and uh, they're all like doing surgeries on people. Oh, that was great. But yeah, like very LA characters and themes. And it was really funny. And then what did you think of the character of the agent? <laughs> Which I loved the reveal that he was actually an agent. Because he starts off, the Steve Buscemi's character, he starts off being like, oh, you know, I'm just like a regular guy. Like, do you want like a, a map to the star homes? I mean, they're mostly gone, but like, you still want this map. And Kurt Russell's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> he's like, no, you really want my map. Okay, whatever, bye. But he's working for um, Cuervo, the the Che Guerva style revolutionary gang leader. But then it's also revealed that he's actually just an agent. And he's like, he keeps talking in this way of like trying to make a deal and trying to get like his 10% and trying to like, you know, like this is going to be great for you, buddy. Like you're going to love him. You're going to, like, we're going to make business here. Like, the two of you working together, it's going to be a huge hit. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And two things about that. One, it actually makes sense that, like, of society, you know, in the apocalypse, people would try and hold on to the same old systems that they have. So, like, in a very grounded way, that would make sense. In a very not grounded way, he provided so much levity to this movie. 
Yeah. And the situation that I think Escape from New York really needed. Like, I can't really think of a comparable character in Escape from New York, except for maybe the taxi driver. Yeah, the taxi driver, perhaps. But um, but he was really fun and silly in this. And yeah, he was always trying to make a deal and kind of, you know, sleazy and scuzzy and out for himself, but also kind of good natured. Um, yeah, he was really, really funny. funny. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And just the L.A. joke of it all that he keeps trying to make like a deal and gets his like get some kind of you know back end deal like percentage going yeah or like connect two people what did you think of the roles for women in this film oof i mean really 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 rough we only had a couple women in this movie we had one military lady who didn't get to do much um we have the woman who he meets a very nice sex worker who helps him out actually and doesn't get killed and then we have the woman who he meets up with and I thought was going to be with him the whole film um but she dies pretty quickly yeah what did you think of her I really liked her and I I mean one of the things that we had talked about with Escape from New York were like one female role I think and I was really hoping that they were going to improve on that with this movie because I really liked the woman who like teams up with him I thought she was just like on screen I thought her on screen persona was really great I liked watching her she was funny she like had a lot of depth and then the minute she starts like developing more of a character she's killed yeah well I mean I liked her up until a certain point then I was like oh no and then I started liking her again and then she died yeah was it the point where she started being like well my boyfriend left so you can come home with me and I'll make you literally yes it was that point she goes yeah, my boyfriend broke up with me tonight. I know. <laughs> and I want to make you feel good. Like, I want to, like, take care of you. Gross. Come on. Like, what? Also, you just met him. I mean, gross of the movie, not gross of her. Like, you know. Yeah, no, no. It's the writing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Insane and gross that they would write this character to throw herself at this guy who she's known for about two minutes um sexually like in that way it felt very strange she had to remind him to like cut her free from the beverly hills hotel vampires yeah like again he has no connection to anybody and so he's not gonna look out for anybody no and he isn't showing her the slightest bit of affection either no or even humanity like oh hey like you're gonna lead me around i'll pull you out of here no um so it was very strange that she like it just felt like this wish fulfillment thing you know just felt like misogynistic to like write it like that of like oh of course and then she's gonna then she's gonna offer to suck his dick right there you know it felt like that right well it's sort of the movie wants us to believe I actually I can't tell if the movie wants us to believe that snake is this amazing like hero or if he's just this kind of like a nihilistic wet blanket scum <laughs> Well, I think he's an anti-hero, right? Like, I think he's also a bad guy, but in this world of bad guys, he's the one we're rooting for. I guess so, but I really like my bad guys to have some sort of attachment to somebody other than than themselves. Yeah, oh, I agree with you. I don't think it's well-written. and I, But I do think this was, like, what would have passed for, like, a dark kind of thriller, you know, where 
you're rooting for the anti-hero kind of film at this point in time you know I don't think you can make this movie now like this oh no you absolutely couldn't which the funny thing is they are so they're making that was the thing I read right after this they're making a reboot what? sequel of Escape from New York it <gasps> oh, will either either be starring Kurt Russell or not starring Kurt Russell TBD oh okay I actually don't know about this uh-huh yeah and it's being produced by the same like by some of the same people but also the team who did the reboots for Halloween and Scream that are recent. I have so many thoughts right now on this subject. First of all, it's going to star Kurt Russell. I mean, why not just like give it to Wyatt Russell? Maybe it will star Wyatt Russell and maybe like Kurt Russell will be his dad. I mean, I don't know if they're going to, if they're doing it like the Halloween movies, the way they rebooted slash sequel them recently it'll be like it'll make sense within the canon of these films but will be its own new thing but also will feel exactly like the first film so it very well could be you know Wyatt Russell jumping into the prison of New York only to find his dad still there you know (laughs) yeah oh man oh you know, we talked about in the last episode how to improve that movie if you could. And I just feel like nobody is going to listen to us. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they might. The 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 Scream reboot was actually pretty fun. Not great, but fun. And I've heard the Halloween reboots are similar. Okay, well, I'll lean into that optimism. I'm not a snake fliskin, so... <laughs> I know. Should you so you need to figure out how to audition for this film? Or maybe I could be Snake Pliskin. That would be yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you could be a lady who throws herself at him. Listen, if I throw myself at Kurt Russell, he, he's going down. He's a very short man. <laughs> 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 he's not going to be able to catch me. It's just one of those things. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you would be a lot taller. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I could save him. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, okay, so that's one woman. But I did like, like you were saying, you know, she gets a great moment after her. She throws herself at him. He rejects her. Then she's, she still follows him for some reason into danger and starts explaining like, oh, yeah, those are people who aren't in any gangs like me who like, you know, got kicked out of the regular country for like small moral crimes and, you know, you should feel bad for them. And she explains that she was sent there because she was Muslim in like South Dakota, I think she said, and that became illegal. Um, And so just as we're feeling for her and she's like, but LA isn't so bad, you know, like it's, it's not that bad. Like if you can figure it out and like figure out how to live here, like it's the only place we are free because I can like practice my religion basically. Um, and then she gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the movie has a lot of, I don't want to say like throwaways, but like a lot of political commentary floating in this otherwise like silly, silly movie. Oh, for sure. It's definitely a satire and it's definitely like a political movie. It's just interesting that its hero doesn't have a political stance. Or a moral one. Yeah. Or like 
any kind of stance. Other but maybe than- maybe his new tr- maybe a positive way to read it is that his kind of nihilism, like his amorality, gives the audience the space to make their own choices. I think that's a really generous read. Yeah, I see that, but I think that's really really generous. Like if I was giving, you know, if I was trying to defend this movie from studio notes, that's what I would say. <laughs> It is interesting because it's so, it's a movie of itself, which sounds like nonsense, but because of, of all the stuff that's happening in it, it's just a very strange and interesting world to be in. And I can't really think of anything to compare it to, except for, again, as I mentioned, Thunderdome. Yeah. But even that is a better movie, but. <laughs> no, it does feel kind of like a Mad Max world. Mm-hmm. Um, where like small economies have, have sort of whipped themselves up and a different sort of government is working through its its stuff but yeah it's it's a fun it's like a really really rich setting for a kind of dull you know protagonist to walk and shoot his way through yeah, absolutely. I wish there were more to him. Yeah. I wish there were more to this protagonist and his story and his character because all of the people he interacts with, I mean, it, it almost feels like a video game where he's just like somebody who's walking through and they've really thought out all these other characters. I mean, where you're rooting for them and you're, you're like, get a real sense of who they are whereas this guy's just like okay shoot swim surf the surf the tsunami (laughs) you're right fly through the air and then shoot people yeah jump onto the car right like he's yeah you're right it's it's very um like rote for him which is funny because this i mean i don't know how developed video games were when this came out but this really feels like a video game to me Should we talk about the other female character in this film, Hershey? Yes, we should. I loved her. I thought she was fantastic. And then she becomes like this great, like badass warrior in the the big climax scene too. She was fantastic. And I loved the introduction. Well, not, I didn't love her introduction, but I loved the idea that she was like this big power player in LA. And Steve Buscemi was like, oh my God, you and Hershey wants to be like, set you two up you guys are going to be the biggest power couple she said like all these things um and she had great like I really liked seeing seeing her on screen like she had this great energy that snake was really missing she had so much charisma I really think like they could literally just cut that one bit out and the movie would lose nothing and we wouldn't lose any bit of like their connection to each other and it'd be so much better for it. Like it would be, what a missed opportunity to have like this awesome trans female character, like who's such a cool badass and so sexy and like running her little empire. Like what a missed opportunity with this one dumb, like really shitty joke. I guess it's a joke, right? It's played as a joke. It's a moment. It was pretty awful. I mean, it was awful. Just... Yeah, I agree. They could have taken it out. I sort of wish 
she'd been introduced earlier or we had understood what had happened yeah. in Cleveland earlier because that was another section where they were like oh this, you did this to me in Cleveland well you did this to me and they have this great like headbutting moment and if we had seen that earlier or even understood that like some of the people coming after Snake were from her because she heard he was in town and she was gonna like get back at him for what he did to her in Cleveland it would have been more fun you're right that would have been better it would have been nice to have her late like intertwined throughout the film rather than it feels very episodic because it's like we don't get any mention of her until way late in the movie because the way we're introduced to her is so cool and so powerful and it's like I was so excited about meeting this new character and then to have that that happen was just like that's so that's so gross and upsetting yeah and it wouldn't beat it no it's it's an assault that is passed off like a joke and yeah. used to undermine her from the jump mm-hmm. and make her like a joke character a little bit until later when I feel like she's not, which is why I feel like what a missed opportunity. But yeah, it, it really, really sat horribly. But that said, she was the best female character we had in this movie. Absolutely. Because she didn't like die or have nothing to do. <laughs> Right, or offer herself sexually to a disinterested Kurt Russell. Yeah. Actually, Kurt Russell had the most, like, energy with her. Yeah. Because they had, like, prior history, and that's when things got interesting. All right, so to the producers listening to this for the remake, um, we'd like to bring back Hershey. Yeah, let's bring back Hershey, for sure. Well, she dies. But maybe she she jumped out of the helicopter, you know, before. I'm sure we can like retcon it somehow <laughs> exactly i'm sure we can make a way that she survived it's cool to care we'll be right back with more escape from la don't get your remotes mixed up we're back i have a question about the big showdown with cuervo did it happen at disney what is the happy kingdom by the sea oh you know what it must have been but that's not where disney world is no, I don't think it's Disney. I don't think it is Disney, but I feel like it's a big LA landmark that I should know, or people who live in LA might know. It might be the Santa Monica Pier. I don't know. Yeah. It looked too big, though. I mean, it looked like a giant lot. Yeah, I agree. I have no clue. Oh, we also get one of my favorite lines, which is from Cuervo, and he goes, You may have escaped New York. You may have escaped Cleveland, which is why I thought there was another movie but you're about to find out that this fucking city can kill anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. Cuervo says at one point, bend over, Mr. President, time for a spanking. Um, Because basically once he gets the remote, he's going to use the remote to trigger this. This is so convoluted. Use the remote to trigger all the satellites around the world to turn off all the electricity, either in the whole world or just one place he wants to point it. They're going to shut down the earth and return it to ninth, like a 19th century society. I guess, yeah. Shut off all the electricity, but also make it so that it can't be made again somehow. I mean, in a different movie too, like they mentioned like planes will go down, like all this. We would have seen the planes going down. That's because we saw it in um, Thunderdome. We got the backstory of the planes in Thunderdome. Oh, you're right. We did. What did you think of the agent's kind of arc? Because at, at times I wasn't sure who he was aligned with. I kind of enjoyed that, though. The fact that that at first it was like, oh, he's just just this, like, kind of harmless guy. And then it's clear that he 
he's not harmless he's aligned with Cuervo and then he sort of aligns himself with Snake but then he's back with Cuervo and I just thought it spoke to his sort of like ability to uh really talk to anybody and get along with anybody (laughs) the network as it were you're right yeah he's a networker he's like a shapeshifter he's he's a sleazy LA agent like it makes sense for his character I really enjoyed that part um he does shoot uh snake at one point yes he does and then snake is like hobbling on one leg because of the bullet but also he believes this virus is in him so he's getting progressively sicker and sicker and sicker and then when they reveal that the virus is just the cold but like a bad fast cold I'm like uh-oh it's like a late COVID thank <laughs> <laughs> you just got COVID well they do call it a designer virus they do <laughs> and I, I'm like oh my gosh he's uh it's like the placebo effect. Like he's been told he's sick and dying. So he's like acting like it. Mm-hmm. But he's totally fine. But it is really funny how they took the format of the first film and just copy pasted it onto a new city with so many, you know, again, like silly, fun layers of LA satire. But the the fact that it, again, the thing that's being dangled as a full pardon, the virus <laughs> thing. The clock that he's wearing with the countdown to when he'll like either explode or like die of this virus, um, having to go retrieve something. It's it's really beat by beat. And then of course, the big switcheroo at the end is identical to the first movie. Even oh, absolutely. Even though there's a fake out in this film where you think, oh, they're on to him and his switcheroos, they're not. Again, everybody is very dumb in this movie. <laughs> But just like in the first film, when he, what was it? He gave the president the wrong cassette tape and the, the cassette, wasn't it a cassette tape? <laughs> yeah. And it played yeah. music instead of being whatever, like nuclear codes or something it needed to be. This time, um, <laughs> he plants the wrong remote on Utopia, sets her free, knowing she'll get captured, I guess. Meanwhile, he has the real remote, but he's using a hologram. Anyway, they, the president takes the remote and he's going to, I didn't understand this part. Did you understand why he went to fire on Cuba and Mexico? No, I think it was something. So they, they used the phrase uh, third world countries, um, which is also kind of of its time. Um, but I think it has something to do with the religious fundamentalism and his perceived view of morality and I don't know I didn't really understand that part I didn't either they but they said there were like ships coming from Miami so maybe it was like oh wasn't it that um didn't Cuervo like release the satellites or like send codes to the to Cuba or whatever yeah he did something like that (laughs) he did something and that triggered something and then kurt russell had to do this something with the like the hologram and yeah and overall he just he shuts down the earth that's what you need to know well before that though he gives the wrong um he gives another fake out remote to the president who hits play on tv just like the last film and oops it's um it's the agent's star tours (laughs) cassette (laughs) I know. I really couldn't track the cassettes, to be honest. There was no. like 
No, the remotes in this film. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. And we're not meant to because he tricks out the audience too. But it's just so funny that it's the exact same beat as the first movie. He successfully gets a, a national leader to play something silly on live TV. Twice. Yeah. What is it? It's kind of like um kind of like how Maverick was the exact same beat as Top Gun. You're right. So the film ends sort of like the first one where he makes a nihilistic selfish choice this time he makes a really nihilistic destructive choice and decides to turn off the electricity for the whole world basically taking the world back to like you said like a a pre-electricity age well i guess that he figured that was his part you know his role in stopping global warming (laughs) i I don't think so (laughs) i don't either i think i'm being really generous I think he thought that was the only option. Right, because the president was going to fire on the Cuban and Mexican people and then they were going to destroy him. Yeah, I guess he, we're supposed to think this is like a neutral option. I guess so. Listen, I, I've said this earlier, but here's how I like my antiheroes. I like them to pretend not to care about anything, but deep down inside, they're very mushy and like really actually care a lot. Right, or to be Taylor Swift. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's what we would prefer. But yeah, I think it was like a, a chaotic, neutral choice. <laughs> yeah, so too. Like, I think it's very selfish, but I think he was trying to like kind of level the playing field, I guess. Well, he, and he, he didn't want the president to win and any other option would let him win. If he sided with him, this guy one if he didn't side with him but still gave him the codes then the president would still win oh that reminds me of a scene earlier in the movie when he's like when we first meet Cuervo and they're driving basically in this parade and Cuervo's got Utopia on his arm and um Snake like chases them down on a motorcycle but then Cuervo's men order like are surrounding him and he says let's play this game basically the game is like and I think that this just shows his own anti-hero status right but he's the game is i'm going to toss a can up in the air and nobody draws until it hits the ground and so he tosses the can up super high and everybody's looking around at him and then he he goes so he goes one two and then he shoots everybody before the can drops to the ground yeah so i think that's a really good demonstration that like he's not going to follow the rules no you're right i think that i think that's totally it like he's going to play by his own rules and also, he doesn't care who he kills. He's got no moral code. Can we imagine something fun happened in Cleveland? Like, what do you think happened in <laughs> Cleveland? That was the big yeah, uh, the, escape. It, well, it's got to be some sort of heist. And I think he and Hershey were working together to pull this heist off. But I can't decide if it, were, if it was for money or if it was for, like, guns or if it was to free the city of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Well, he well we know that Snake doesn't care about anybody by him, but himself, and he also doesn't care about freeing anyone. Like, well, that's that's what I mean. So Hershey, what she would have cared about, like maybe, maybe she, I don't know, maybe she's all about the money. We didn't get that much about her character. Well, she does betray Snake in Cleveland. We know that much. Mm, maybe she's on to him. Yeah, she's maybe like, she's like you're a bad guy. Yeah, I can't partner with somebody like that. Yeah. What do you think happened? I agree. Like a heist would be really fun. Like they're stealing money from somebody. 
Um, it could have been like a corrupt person, but Hershey like double crosses him and takes all the money and like leaves him for dead. Um, but he would leave anyone for dead, so it's kind of fair. And <laughs> he makes it out anyway. I don't think he can have a kid in in the sequel or like not the sequel in the reboot. Why? Because that would require him to care. It happened in Cleveland. It happened off screen, you know. They'll just do like a. That was right, the escape from Cleveland. He's not going to stick Wait. around. That was the escape from Cleveland. He was escaping parenthood. That you're right. That's what it was. Because <laughs> he misses the bullets. Yep. This is becoming one of those series that I don't like love, but I'm sort of weirdly invested in now. <laughs> Well, it's just the two of these. There's, I mean, except for whatever comes next, but it is such a strange, fun world. It really does. You're right. It feels very much like the world of uh, Beyond Thunderdome. And it's just like a weird, dark place to spend a couple hours. But this was a silly, fun time also. I hope the reboot maintains some of the levity. Me too. Me too. I will say for movies like this, like Mad Max, like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome that came out of the 80s and probably early 90s, there's a sort of like, I mean, obviously there are several things in here that are not good and like I don't need to see and like leave them in the past, but there's a a sort of like dark whimsy or bleak whimsy to them Mm -hmm. that I think is missing in a lot of movies nowadays where either movies take themselves so seriously or it's like it's over the top camp or like not even camp but like just over the top silliness and I think this movie strikes this really interesting balance of being like you said rich in world building but not so heavy (laughs) well it's like rich in world building and like really thin in character building yeah and I'd like both yeah but you're right it's not that heavy for a world that feels incredibly heavy yeah just two last things I mean so the president essentially sends his daughter to the electric chair and it's a bible verse like a modified bible verse as he does it Right. And essentially saying that he's like justified and even more, you know, righteous for doing this to his own daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's saved at the last minute by the blackout. But the very last thing in the film is Kurt Russell's snake lighting up a cigarette, which are now, you know, which were outlawed, um, lighting up a cigarette with a regular match. And he stares at the camera and he blows out the match and says, Welcome to the human race. (laughs) Yeah. What is that about? I could not tell you. I think if I really wanted to like bullshit my way through an answer, I would say that the human race is all about connection and snake believes that by returning the earth to this 18th century, 19th century life, he's fostering true connection instead of like division. (laughs) That's, that's where I've, yeah. Okay. That's the paper I'm turning in for like my 11th grade social history. There you go. No, I like it. I like that kind of bullshit explanation. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the film doesn't know. (laughs) 
I feel like the filmmakers have had to make it the same bullshit to justify this ending too. Yeah, I think that brings us to the end of Escape from L.A. Rin, um, out of five trash can fires, which there were many in this film, mm-hmm. how many trash can fires would you give this movie? You know, I think I'm going to go with the two. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say, like, I had a silly time watching this, and it is a really interesting world to be in overall. But I don't think I enjoyed it enough to give it a three. Yeah. There are elements I liked. And I'll keep an eye out for the reboot. Uh, yeah. Starring myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> I would be a great anti-hero. You'd be Kurt Russell. You'd be Snake's daughter from Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about you? I agree. I think it's a two for me, too. You made all the right points. I mean, this was a fun time, but I didn't have enough fun where I'm like, I'd recommend this to anyone or watch it again, really. That brings us to the end of Escape from L.A. Next week, Rebecca and I will be watching Pain and Gain, which is a movie from 2013. So if you'd like to watch it ahead of time, please do so. Otherwise, we'll be spoiling it. If you'd like to send us a movie recommendation, you can send it to ladiesgetaction at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at ladiesgetaction, where we're posting fun behind-the-scenes takeaways um, and episode announcements, along with other content. Um, and In the meantime, if you're enjoying this podcast, please go ahead and rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It really means a lot to us and it helps other people find our podcast. So if you haven't done so already, please do it today. Then finally, Rin, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at Rin Olson. That's R-I-N-O-L-S-S-O-N. Rebecca, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Ringley Casting. Until next time. Get some action.